0: What happens when a Catholic deacon matches wits with a Catholic radio show host? You get a marriage made in heaven. They may not always agree, but they're always faithful. It's the Akins with their View from the Pew on Modern Day Radio.
1: And welcome to this episode of View from the Pew. I am your host, Brenda Aiken, and joining me today is the man who's probably more spontaneous than I am. The good deacon Scott Aiken,
2: spontaneous. That's uh, interesting because I think I probably view myself as more reactive. What's the difference between reactive and spontaneous? I guess one is uh, is focusing on uh, the, the positive. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like that. I think that is a great compliment. Thank
1: you. Okay. See, I I don't mind spontaneous necessarily, but I am definitely a planner meaning that if we're we're going to do something, I want to know, well, let's look at it a week ahead. What do we have to do to get ready for it? Do we need to you know, it used to be a time where do we need to get a babysitter for the kids, that kind of stuff. I was less able to be spontaneous where you were like, hey, give that babysitter a call, see if she's available tonight. And I was like, whoa. Wait a second. We can't just bring that on, people. we got a plan. Now that we've gotten older, though, you're right. We've gotten better at just adjusting to last-minute things, which is the case that's happening for us this week. Uh, Out of the blue, a friend that we've kept in touch with, they were a deacon couple in the Archdiocese of Seattle until they moved to eastern Washington. We kept, you know, touch with them sporadically, uh, but we just found out uh, the deacon's wife, a who uh, her husband has since passed away, coming for a, a quick visit. And it's kind of fun to have those visits, but also, you know, it causes us pause to kind of remember her because this will be the first time that we'll get to see her since you went to her husband's funeral. Our close friend, a good deacon friend.
2: Yes. Oh, I'm excited. And I it, it just gives hope, you know, uh, recognizing that we all face the experience of death in our lives in various ways. And and to see that we in spite of that we can maintain these friendships that uh, last beyond and i think ultimately that's just a just a representation of what heaven will be like we'll be reunited with friends in a way that has no trappings no masks just completely honest us and uh, that's certainly what we have with Reenie. She's just a great friend, and we just we just love being uh, around her. So yes, spontaneous. But um, you know, I think that's part of being adaptive. And certainly, as a deacon, I have uh, taken that to heart. That for deacons, particularly, we have to be adaptive to the moment. And I know that you have grown. You yourself have grown into your ability to be adaptive since we've been married these 33 years.
1: I do do my best again. It's still against my nature. And and don't change my plan. Isn't it funny how you, you get rooted in these ideas of how things need to be? I plan. I like things organized. I want to put everything in the cubby hole. And then you come along and go, oh, I think this could be moved to a different cubby hole. You know, whatever that happens to be in my plan, and then it really kind of throws me for a loop. But boy, to be able to uh, enjoy friendships at the last second like this came along, I I think it's just, they're wonderful opportunities, and we need to accept and embrace them as blessings and and little gifts uh, thrown at us from God and uh, just kind of revel in it. Of course, always when we talk about our friends Dave and Rini. It reminds us of our trip to Rome. And it mm-hmm. was a trip that we took with them as part of that group for the canonization of St. Kateri Tecawitha. They were part of that kind of entourage of people that we went together. What amazing times. Spontaneous too with them. Because if we weren't open to opportunities, we would have missed some really wonderful times. One of those times was finding the beautiful sculpture of St. Teresa of Avila in ecstasy. And it was an adventure just getting there, but it was one that, uh, well, so long as all of you were doing the plans, I was more than happy to go along with.
2: There, there, if I recall, there was no plan. We just we just had a destination, and thanks be to God, we followed God and got to the destination just fine And in that whole journey, but thought, wow. That was that was a miracle that we we got on the, the metro in rome we got on uh, the right path to get to the place yeah all of the, all of the pieces coming together it was a pilgrimage that was a point of, of clarity for me that yeah we're on pilgrimage because God is leading us right where we are being inspired to go so it was a beautiful statue Bernini I think is who I believe put that so. together and uh just just phenomenal it was it was worth all of the uh, anxiety that you might otherwise feel because you didn't have a plan.
1: Those were wonderful adventures that we look upon and we remember fondly. It's almost like going back and pulling a book off the shelf again, one that you just loved rereading. But then when you open up the pages, just because of who you were at that point of life, you start to look at things just a little bit differently. And the things that you used to remember about a book Well, they mean a little bit differently. I kind of think of that trip to Rome the same way that I remember experiencing it and how wonderful it was. But looking back, wow, the deeper meanings and those little miracles that happened throughout the trip. Well, just through older eyes and and life experience, you go back and you go, I get where God was leading us. You know, the same is true for many books. And today we've got a very special guest. Joining us today is Professor Leonard Lorenzo. He has a new book that he's the editor of, that he brought together incredible scholars. They read the entire series of the Chronicles of Narnia and wrote the book, The Chronicles of Transformation. And in it, they take a little bit of time and look at each one of these books and really draw you into a little bit deeper understanding than just the surface fantasy that many children love.
2: Yeah, I certainly loved reading fantasy books when I was young, and I and I read through C.S. Lewis's writings, and uh, I, I read through Tolkien's writings. And my imagination as a child is just uh, limitless, you know. And as you get older, you have to really work to remind yourself that's that's really valuable to maintain your imagination. In fact, I had a deacon friend of mine tell me, you know, we need to, we need to be able to dust off our imagination. So we're going to talk a little bit about the book, but then just talk about how we can maybe dust off our imaginations to see the life that God has given us anew.
1: So we got a great show ahead for you on this week's View from the Pew. Stay with us. Ah!
3: Welcome to Catholic Bites 60 Seconds, where 2,000 years of faith and tradition is explained one minute at a time. I'm Father Tim Furlow of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, and today we're going to talk about your vocation, not to be confused with your wild time in Cabo two summers ago. Your vocation is what you're called to in this life. It comes from the Latin word vocare, which literally means to call out to somebody. And when it comes to us and our human life, the person doing the calling is God. He can call us to all kinds of stuff. The point is our vocation is what we're called to be, not what we're called to do. Doing flows from being. Whatever you are determines what you do. And who better than God knows who we really are? Nobody, not even ourselves. So who better to trust when it comes to how we should live this human life? You want to be really happy? Don't get stressed out over every little thing you do. Instead, pray, God, help me to be who you made me to be. Help me to live my vocation. I'm Father Tim Furlow, and this is Catholic Bites, 60 Seconds.
1: As the summer rolls into August, now is the time to tackle that back-to-school shopping list. One Stop Shopping on Amazon or Fred Meyer will allow you to support Mater Day Radio when you shop for the cause. While the kids may not be excited about the return-to-school routines, you can be glad to know that you are supporting great Catholic broadcasting with everyday purchases. For details on how to sign up, go to MozartdayRadio.com, the bridge between your faith and everyday life.
0: Scott and Brenda Aiken with their View from the Pew on Modern Day Radio.
1: Well, in a world grown cold without wonder, how do we reimagine the drama and joy of our Christianity? Well, for C.S. Lewis, the answer was to invite us to a magical world named Narnia. Well, in a new world, that would help us see our own with fresh healed eyes. And even now, it's not too late to go there. In a new book edited by University of Notre Dame professor Leonard DiLorenzo, The Chronicles of Transformation, A Spiritual Journey with C.S. Lewis is a collaborative work between scholars and artists, open adult readers' eyes and hearts to the transformative power of these wonderful books. Professor DiLorenzo is joining me today to talk a little bit more about Well, the land of Narnia. Good morning, Leonard. Thanks so much for joining us today.
4: Well, thank you for welcoming me in.
1: Well, there is so much to these original book series uh, than what was made for the big screen. Can you give us an overview of the original book series and the intention C.S. Lewis had for writing Narnia?
4: Absolutely. As many people would know, there are seven chronicles in this series, the Chronicles of Narnia. And he really, as far as we know from what he's written and uh, from what he shared, he wrote Beginning with the first one, the line "The Witch in the Wardrobe," for his goddaughter Lucy, he said in a uh, note to her when he wrote the first book, "You know, I started writing this story for you when you were young, but it turns out that girls grow grow quicker than books do, and so he published the book before she was, uh, you know, before she had reached into uh, sort of her teenage years and. He thought, well, maybe now you're a little bit too old for this, what seems like a childlike story, but there will be a time again when you'll appreciate it, and I give it to you for that time. So these stories came intended for a child, but even from the very beginning, C.S. Lewis had in his mind, there will perhaps be a time when, as an adult, you can return to this. And the Seven Chronicles followed from that. He He doesn't seem to have had the intention to write Seven right from the beginning, though Uh, Especially one of our contributors, Michael Ward, has detected that it seems like the seven uh, planets of medieval cosmology are a sort of pattern for these seven chronicles, so there is some intentionality there. But nevertheless, there was an order of discovery, of discovering this new world, of being uh, re-energized for seeing our own world with new wonder, and it began with writing for a child.
1: Leonard if a person were to sit down and begin reading this series as you said he it took him a while and while he intended it for a his his goddaughter well she became a little bit older can you see the progression of his writing in these books meaning that as you got through the series did it try to draw in a more older maybe preteen or even a, a young adult reader
4: you know it is interesting to track the way in which the chronicles themselves develop and one of our contributors to our volume, uh, Peter Shackle, who is a Lewis scholar in his own right, he wrote about what is the third published chronicle, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And one of the things he brings to our attention as readers is that C.S. Lewis is doing some new things in this third chronicle. For one, he's more intentionally bringing in humor, and really humor for adults. He's involved, secondly, in satire of the modern world, and the third really uh, sort of noticeable change is he's diving much more deeply into myth. And it seems that he's more and more concerned with really developing myth in its fullest form in a way that somebody like J.R.R. R. Tolkien would have deeply appreciated. And so you see, I think, as Lewis moves through these chronicles as an author, it's not that they necessarily get more sophisticated or they get better or worse. It's that they change with him and they change for the reader in what you're encountering and what you're engaging. Part of what we wanted to do with our volume, one of the things at least, was point some of these things out to people, help us to see them better so that, not just so we can think about the Chronicles, but so that we can enjoy these stories even more deeply as adults.
1: The name of the book is The Chronicles of Transformation, A Spiritual Journey with C.S. Lewis. It is out by Ignatius Press, and it was edited by Leonard DiLorenzo, who is joining us today. Well, let's break this open a little bit. Tell us a little bit about how you put all of these, I guess, maybe essays from different scholars and artists to bring this work together.
4: It really began with a liturgical exercise that we were involved in, believe it or not, uh, several years ago. We had gotten in the habit of gathering year after year, and for one of these years, we thought that we would offer as a sort of communal reading with some enriching talks and presentations, the Chronicles of Narnia. And the chapters that are now in this book, one chapter for each of the Chronicles, those essays were first talks delivered to a live audience and then broadcast uh, over digital means to people all over the country and all over the world, and so really, what you find in the book is something that was already coming from a communal setting of people reading these stories together, uh, reflecting on them deeply, especially in terms of their Christian themes or their Christian meaning. From that, these talks that were crafted, each of us who gave these talks, we then thought about a different audience. What would it be like to engage with a community of readers through writing and? The chapters that are there then are from scholars who are actually involved in trying to communicate more deeply with a public audience about these seemingly simple stories, at first at least, you would think childlike stories, but that also bring forth such uh, depth and such beauty and such meaning. So what you have when you hold the book in your hand is the combined efforts of scholars and the artistic work of a visual artist and a poet who have all sought to reflect more deeply on these masterpieces by C.S. Lewis.
1: It is a beautiful series of, well, we'll say writings, individual chapters brought together in his new book. Leonard, I'd love to ask you this question. In looking at all of these essays that you've brought together, and maybe C.S. Lewis intended that that this book kind of, people come back to it over Mm. years, over their life, meaning that when they read it as a younger person or in in their teen years and and young adult years that more was to be drawn out of it in your process in putting all of these works together was there something about the like a, a theme that maybe you didn't initially feel or understand when reading the books but then when you come back to it with different eyes based on the world that we're living in that you went oh he's getting at this. Did you find that there Mm. were themes like that throughout?
4: There were so many of them, and I can probably just maybe cherry pick. I'll pick one of them, Um, and it comes directly from one of our contributors. So let's say Rebecca Lamb, who wrote the essay or the chapter on the silver chair, she brings to the fore something that once you're told it and and somebody helps you to see it, you can't unsee it, and it's almost like, oh my goodness, how did I not know this before? But I think as adults, we have to be shown this. She shows us that the silver chair is very, very much about theories of education. And C.S. Lewis there is not just writing a story to get a message across. He's actually immersing you in a world where there are different kinds or different modes of education going on at the same time. And what he's, it seems that you're being led through, if you allow yourself to be led through, is what it means or what it is like. To develop a memory, a memory that becomes the seat of wisdom, of seeing, of interpretation, of what it means to actually allow yourself to be immersed in a story, to appreciate literature or meaning without always having to analyze it and be tested on it, though there are important things to be tested on. And even in that story, the memory is being tested. It's not simply for the end of producing something that we're educated and I think what C.S. Lewis does for us with the Chronicles of Narnia here for children is it immerses you in a kind of world where things matter, whether you remember them or not, whether you have courage or not, whether you're able to ward off evil enchantments or not. And for adults, it brings us to see what, how important it is in the ways in which we've learned to see the world or not see the world, of how we raise our children, of what we value. C.S. Lewis, for example gives us a sort of philosophical treatise on this in his book, The Abolition of Man. But what's happening in The Silver Chair is you're being immersed in a world where the things that he talks about in The Abolition of Man are actually surrounding you here in The Silver Chair, and you feel the drama, the narrative. So I just highlight that as one really important thing, I think, that was brought up. There's so many of them that I learned about, and I was edified by, in even reading and learning from my fellow contributors.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, maybe parents, if you're looking for one last way to embrace summer reading, pick up a copy of the Chronicles of Transformation and have the whole C.S. Lewis series handy so that way you can read them all together as a family. The book is available through Ignatius Press. Leonard, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for this great book. It's just a wonderful way to dive into, well, a family favorite. Thanks for your time today.
4: Well, thank you and thank you for your interest.
1: So the name of the book, again, The Chronicles of Transformation, A Spiritual Journey with C.S. Lewis. It is out by Ignatius Press. It is edited by Professor Leonard DiLorenzo. I will be sure to add a link to where you can get right to Ignatius Press to find a copy for yourself and also to Leonard's webpage that he just mentioned. You're going to find those links on the podcast of this interview, matradayradio.com and the Hail Mary media app. Scott, you have known this about me. If it's a newspaper, if it's a book, if it's a magazine, I'm going to start with page one and I'm not going to put it down until I get to the very last page, hopefully without cracking the spine. Books are just a part of our lives. You read a lot of books, maybe more when you were younger in high school and college years. You enjoyed a lot of fantasy books. I would pick up the occasional novel, but especially since I started working at Queen of Peace Bookstore uh, for so many years and then now at the radio station, I boy, there's a lot of great works to be read.
2: And I think, you know, as, as we get older, we read more, at least I did more factual things and you you Kind of take on this persona of oh that was childish. Now I'm an adult, but you know that I, I see that as in, from my perspective in my own self as not being accurate. That uh, I I've since gone having gone through all the training I did to become a deacon, all the training I've done to become a scientist in my in my day to day job, working for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. All of that is good and necessary, but it also can rob us of our childlike imagination? And how do we re, how do we rekindle that, reconnect to that? And what's the value of doing that? Well, I think if you're going to talk about heaven, if you're going to talk about saints, you have to engage your imagination because they are not here in front of you, obvious. It takes our imagination. I think the Lord works with our imagination to help us to see something that we might otherwise miss. If we're just going to be rooted in factual concrete, it's not going to happen.
1: If I look back at all of the books I've read, and I remember being in grade school, having to do book reports and things, I can distinctly remember, and I might have been in the fifth grade, that was the first time that I read a book. And as I got to the conclusion, there was a part of it that was so tragic. It actually moved me to cry. I was so sad in reading this book. Again, I was probably in the fifth grade. And that's when I learned that reading books is more than just reading the words on a page that books can transform you that they can affect you emotionally and intellectually and and i think that's when i realized that i love the way this feels not the, the way that sadness felt but loved that words on a page that i can enter into a story so much that i moved it's like you know, that's how God wants us to enter into our own lives, It's to, to dive into it and be moved, experience joy, experience sadness, and let it affect you. Fantasy books are wonderful ways to do that. The Chronicles of Narnia on the surface, kids book, the old movie, and the more recent ones. Again, fantastic and, and wonderful to watch and see. But, boy, when you dive into the words on a page and you let yourself be immersed in it, yeah, now it affects your soul.
2: You know, every Easter we do uh, stations of the cross in preparation for uh, the Easter season. So out throughout Lent and even on the on Good Friday, we do stations of the Cross. And I just keen in on this as when you do the stations of the cross as a, as a point of reference, Do you imagine each one of those stations to the degree that you might imagine if you read a fantasy book, if you read a fictional book? uh, We should be, you. We have to use our imagination to see and to experience the suffering, the passion that Christ had for us. And and I, it really keys in on my mind when I think of that because it's so particular to our Catholic faith but is so valuable to our understanding of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ when we're able to immerse ourselves into the stations of the cross, as an example. And as those, we could just read the prayers and and just go through the motions, but it won't have the same effect um, as it would if we immerse ourselves. That means using our imagination to see Christ, to walk with Christ, to be with the the women who are uh, helping Christ on, on his way, uh, all of that is is imagination mm. and it's it's a matter of us to rekindle that childlike ability to place ourselves mentally into a scene into uh, an event and receive the emotion that is part of that event w- were we there actually in person
1: well, Scott, just as Leonard and I had talked about in our interview is that when you look at watch movies and then you turn around and read the books, and we've done that with our kids, kind of they've seen different movies and then they've read the books, they go, oh my gosh, the the book was so much better in my mind reading it than what they displayed on the screen. Well, that's going to be the same thing with our spiritual life, that it's so much more when we allow ourselves to enter into it in our own minds and imagine and dwell and contemplate, well, scripture, our prayers, the lives of the saints, our Christ, and of course, our blessed Virgin Mary.
2: I'm going to make a quantum leap here and say that, you know, if if we were to see our movie of our life, mm. would we have experienced it the same way as if we let it unfold as you do when you read a book? Uh, I think that's that's a just a, a good uh, example of, why, why we live our life. Christ is unfolding to us in our life, something that is far greater than if we just knew what was going to be the outcome. So people that want to know, want to see the movie, but don't want to do maybe the, the harder lift of reading through the book, letting their imagination engage in a way that is uh, their own, um, that uh, if you compare that to our lives, There's no way i want to know what my life's going to be like at the end Mm -hmm. i want to i i want to live right now in this moment more as a consequence of of recognizing that difference and saying i want to be in this in this moment now i don't want to jump ahead and i think in a movie once you've seen a movie you go back to read the book and you're like i can't i have a hard time reading the book because i already have preconceived notions because the movie someone's already defined what that imagination
1: is so, and I
2: love movies, but I think books are absolutely engaging and especially fantasy books like C.S. Lewis's book.
1: Oh, absolutely. I love how you put that, Scott. We should live our lives so that way, well, we're all eager to turn to the next chapter. Scott, before we go, will you end us in prayer?
2: Lord, we thank you for the spontaneousness of your grace in our lives that you just pour it out with great abandonment for us to trust that we will make use of it. Help us to make use of the grace you give us. Help us to respect that and be grateful to you who provide everything of value in our lives. Help us this week to gain strength in ourselves and in our faith and in our communities of faith. We ask all this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: And that is going to wrap it up for us this week please tune in next week as we share with you more stories about our faith our family and our view from the pew
2: god bless and appreciate being
0: spontaneous this week you've been listening to view from the pew a weekly look at faith and family life from a catholic perspective with deacon scott and brenda aiken for more information on the Akins and to listen to an archive of their previous shows, visit them online at moderndayradio.com slash pew. View from the Pew is produced at the studios of Modern Radio in Portland, Oregon.